0: The, uh, before we get started, I do want to say this is such a difficult subject. And uh, because I've done like 600 plus funerals, I've kind of become a resident expert. But nobody wants to talk about this. And that's why I'm taking the time to talk about it today and as often as people give me a venue. Because we don't talk about it, nobody knows what to do, nobody knows what to say, nobody knows how to react. And what we keep hearing is the thing we've always been hearing in which we blame God for the loss of our loved one. God, you know, took him. And So I want to speak to some of these areas. And I'm going to say right up front, I do not want to offend anybody. This subject is, lots of times it brings up real feelings of hurt and pain and loss. And I don't want to minimize that in any way. I just want to speak into it some truth. The truth will set you free, will make you free. And so I want to start with what I think is the most important thing. There's really not an order to the rest of them. But we got to manage as Christians the tension between the promises of God and the pain that we endure in this life, between the power of the God we serve who can do anything He chooses to do and the problems that we face in this world, the fact that we have life and life more abundantly but we endure loss. In Acts chapter twenty-four, verse sixteen, Paul says this. He says, "I strive, I endeavor, to keep a pure conscience, void of offense, before God and toward people." Now it's easy to see how we can get offended at people. Uh, if we're honest, has anybody been offended by by people? Yeah. The rest of you are lying, so we'll we'll deal with that later. He says, "I work hard, I strive, I endeavor to keep a clear conscience, void of offense toward God and towards people." And when I read that, it's like, how, "How do you get mad at God?" But I find this is the number one thing that people get mad at God over: is losing a loved one. We prayed, we believed, we stood they passed away anyway, they went to be with their Lord, and they get offended. When I witness on the street, when I witness to people in the world, one of the number one things that people say to me why they don't come to church is because they prayed for grandma, and grandma died anyway, and so they're offended at God. Now, I get that, except, and we'll (laughs) look at some facts later, but People are going to die. We live in a fallen world. And since Adam brought sin into the world, the Bible says death came through sin. We're all going to die. But people get mad at God. And it's much harder on the faith-filled churches than it is to the people who've already believed that God is taking them because then they just blame God. But can I say to you, if God took them, truly if God took them, And then we get mad at God. It's a character assassination of who God is. It's actually blasphemous to blame God for taking a loved one. So this is the number one thing that people fall away from the church for, that people won't come to church over, that people have against God and against the church is an offense. Because we preach a powerful God. We preach about a God whose promises are yes and amen and all of those things are true but the truth of the matter is they're incomplete on their own because there is pain and suffering in this life and we have to we have to deal with that we have to understand there you can't get rid of the tension you have to manage it now, can i say when we lose a loved one or when we're going through pain in this life, if God was to try to explain it to you, it's like trying to explain to a baby why their ears hurt when they're coming up and down in a plane. Have have you ever been in a plane and your ears hurt because of the pressure difference? Well, how do you explain that to a child? All the child knows is my ears hurt. Have you ever been through taking your child to the doctor and you have to hold them down while the doctor sticks them with a needle? Try to explain to that child you're doing this for their good, that you're there for them, that you this is going to make... You can't explain it. And and even if you could, it doesn't actually take away the pain. We have to manage that tension that there is pain, there is loss in this world. Many people read the book of Job, and the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And we hear that at funerals all the time. And I don't want to throw any pastor under the bus, but that's cowardice. That's just a way of getting out of answering the difficult questions. Yes, Job said that. That is the truth. That is what Job said. But Job didn't know there was a devil. He really thought it was God doing it, and therefore he made those statements with a limited understanding of what was going on. But can I say to you, beloved, Job's greatest hurt and pain was not the loss of his children. It was not the loss of his income. It was not the loss of his cattle. It wasn't the fact that his friends, I call them lightly, friends, turned on him and just accused him of being a bad person. It wasn't even his wife saying to him, just yes, curse God and die. Well, now that'll pump you up right there. That'll fill you full of Now, No, Job's greatest struggle was feeling abandoned by God. Job's greatest struggle was feeling. Why isn't God telling me what's happening here? Why isn't God showing up? And can I say to you, because I've helped so many people through loss? This is a very real struggle. People who have heard the voice of God, people who have walked with God, people who have even seen miracles, when it comes to this subject, they feel like God has abandoned them. And I'm going to promote other people today because I think that if you'll promote others, God will promote you in time. James Dobson wrote a book called When God Doesn't Make Sense, and it's a great book. I would encourage you to get the book. Now, I have this caveat he mentions at least three times, maybe four or five, he makes the statement, well, it was obvious that it was God's will for this to happen. And I don't agree with, with that. There are a lot of things that happen that are not God's will. It's God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and not have to spend an eternity in hell. But People make that choice every day. There are things that God has asked you not to do, and you do it anyway. So outside of that particular statement that he makes a couple times in the book, the book is really, really good about helping people work through this struggle that God seems to be absent. There's a barrier of feeling like God abandoned you, feeling like God's not there for you, feeling like God let you down. And so many people, if we'll just walk with them, we can help them through that barrier, that barrier that says, God is not with me. God has abandoned me. God has left me to handle this all on my own. When the truth is, God is the one getting you through it. The beauty of Job, though, if you go to chapter 40, where he actually, the title of it says, God answers Job. You know, he actually did not answer the way you and I would have wanted to answer it. And many times he doesn't answer us the way we want either, but he always answers. And God says to Job, in essence, he doesn't offer him an answer, he offers him himself. He says, Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did that? Can you make this happen? Can you make that happen? And he offers his personhood to Job I'm here, I'm capable. I am with you, and I need you to know that no matter how you feel today, if you feel abandoned, if you feel alone, the feelings are real, but they're not always right. And we have to deal with our feelings. The Scriptures are very, very clear that you and I cannot live this Christian life based on our feelings because your feelings will lie to you. And the truth is your feelings are too easily affected. Can I can I prove it to you? I don't know why I ask, I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm trying to be polite. <clears throat> if somebody says to you, as a as a lady specifically, man, I really like your hair today, you just like, ooh, walk through life. But if somebody said, What happened to your hair? You like, you don't even want to go outside, you want to wear a cap and can't hardly wait for your hair to grow out again, over a simple statement of your hair. It affects our feelings. You lose a piece of paper, you feel bad. You find a piece of paper, you feel great. We call that money, but it's just a piece of paper. It affects your attitude. It affects your feelings. So you cannot trust your feelings. Because most of us, if we trusted our feelings, would only be saved about three days out of the year. It's called faith for a reason. And so I know it may feel like that and I'm not trying to minimize it. Please hear my heart. I've, I've lost lots of family members and I'm, I'm not speaking from a book. I'm speaking from experience while I read the book that my feelings would lie to me. My feelings would tell me one thing when the word of God said another. And too many times we trust our feelings more than we trust the character and nature and word of God. And that's Dangerous territory for anybody. So I want to say to you, your feelings are real and they need to be dealt with. It's okay to say, I feel this way. You just can't stay there. Because your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings will tell you God has abandoned you. Your feelings will tell you God is no longer available. That God isn't real. That God never was real. You never really did experience the things that you think you experienced. On and on it goes. This is the number one reason people leave the church. This is the number one reason people fall away from church and get an attitude towards God. And again, we're talking about the Apostle Paul who said, I strive, I endeavor, I work hard to keep a conscience that is void of offense towards God and towards people. And I just want to apologize for the things that preachers have told y'all. And I'm not not trying to throw any pastor under the bus, but we've taken the easy way out, and we've been teaching what we've been taught without actually checking it out. So many preachers will get up tomorrow in a service and tell somebody, well, God took them. Can I tell you something about that? Our God is all-sufficient. That means he has no need. To say God took something means he had need. When somebody takes something from you, it's because they have need of it. God hasn't forgot how to make angels, beloved. Have you heard it said, well, God needed another angel in heaven? Has he forgot the recipe? I mean, did God forget how to create angels? I know what we're saying, and it sounds so nice. Because we saw our children as little angels. But God doesn't need another angel. If he needed another angel, he would create one. God has no need, beloved. He doesn't need your husband if he was a carpenter because he hasn't finished building the kingdom of God. God has no need. And so God doesn't take, but he does receive. And we'll look at that later. You just got to get through this idea that your feelings cannot run the show because your feelings will go up and down. It's a process. We have to manage this tension where the Scripture says in John eleven twenty six, 26, Whosoever lives and believes shall never die. Hebrews 9, 27, however, says, It's appointed unto every man once to die. But, but Pastor Lee, all the promises of God are yes and amen. True enough. What about this promise then in John 16, 33? One of those promises is, in this life you shall have tribulations. How many of you have that written on your refrigerator? Yes, the promises of God are yes and amen. But some of those promises include difficulties in this life because we live in a fallen world. Children die. Not because of their own sin necessarily, but because there's sin in the world. And because there's sin in the world, there's disease, there's sickness, there's things that take our loved ones. It's just a part of being in a fallen world. We have scorpions, mosquitoes, and crooked politicians. We live in a fallen world. And so we we have to realize, yes, the promises of God are yes and amen, but all of the promises, not just the ones we want to pick and choose. Too many people live a consumer Christianity where they read their Bible and they take out what they want, but avoid the things that might challenge them a little bit, avoid the things that might actually bring truth to a situation. We want to believe for planes and trains, but we don't want to believe that life can be difficult and God needs to help us through it. A second point, if you're taking notes, and you ought to be. Because if I was here to tell you how to make a million dollars, you'd have brought your notebook. Grief is natural, needed, and necessary. It's natural, it's needed, And it's necessary. And I'm making this quote from a book by Kenneth C. Hogg. H-A-U-G-K. I guess that's how you pronounce his last name. Grief is natural. Can I say to you that grieving is often the best way your body knows how to respond to the pain it's going through. Crying Men hate to cry. I promise you, they hate to cry. But many times, it's the only way your body knows how to respond to the pain it is going through. And I'm going to be very, very bold. To try and ignore that is detrimental to your health and your well-being. I wished I had a better example, but I do not. I wished I had a different way to encourage this, but has anybody here... Vomited, thrown up, pearl, I don't know what you call it. I hate that. I would rather do just about anything than throw up. But have you ever noticed once you do throw up, you actually almost instantly feel better? There's a reason for that. It is because your body is saying there's something inside that is making you sick, physically sick. And the longer you leave it there, the sicker you will become. It can actually lead to death if you leave what's in you that needs to get out in there too long. When we don't grieve well, when we don't let it out, when we don't have someone to talk to, we get a soul sickness. And if it's left there long enough, it will bring death to you, first spiritually and then eventually physically. Because grief is natural. It is the way God has set up the system that we have, this human body, for us to deal with things. And because it's natural, it's needed. You need to grieve. And there is a process in that, and it's okay. There is no five steps and then you're going to be okay. It's a process. And some days you do really, really well, and some days it overcomes you. The thing I don't like about grief as a male is that it doesn't play fair. If I could grieve at two in the morning when nobody's around, I wouldn't even mind it. I would cry. I would get angry. I would do all the things that I need to do. and Nobody would see it. It wouldn't be an embarrassment. And I would just go on the rest of the day, be okay. But grief doesn't play fair. I'll be walking in the Walmart aisle, and the loss of my son will grab me over a toy he used to have, Or somebody will ask me about him not knowing that he's gone to be with Jesus five years now. People still ask because they're disconnected and they just, they don't know. So grief will reach out. I remember when I first lost my son, the the newest one, when I lost him, he was 20 years old. I went to a convenience store and Michael always went to the convenience store with me and when I went in, the cashier said, so how's Michael? He had a way of just, endearing people to himself. And it just broke me. I couldn't even hardly pay. Because grief reached out and said, I have your attention. But I know something other people don't know. Because I've been doing this for 40 plus years. I know that grief is natural. And it's necessary. It's needed. You need to grieve. In... 1 Thessalonians 4.17, he says, Sorrow not as those who have no hope. He didn't say, as it's been taught by lots of Christians, that you're not supposed to sorrow. And, and I'm okay, please hear my heart, I'm okay with we're going to have a celebration of life, but that person is dead. And we call it a celebration of life because we don't even like the term. We don't want to deal with what's actually going on here. He didn't say not to sorrow. He said, don't sorrow like those who don't have any hope. You and I as Christians have this hope that we're going to spend eternity with them. We're going to see them again. In Thessalonians, he said, we're supposed to encourage one another with these words. That in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, We shall all be changed and we'll meet those who've gone on to be with the Lord before us. We'll meet them in the air and forever be with them. So we have to realize that sorrow is okay. That sorrow is natural. It's needed and it's necessary. If you don't grieve well, and I've experienced this personally with family members who also lost loved ones, when they try to internalize it, and even the Christians who minimize it by saying, it's okay, they're in a better place, and they just have this facade, when grief actually does vent itself, because it will, it's like a volcano, it's going to erupt in time. If you don't grieve well, when you do grieve, it'll come out in nasty ways, rebellion and anger and frustration, and you will hurt people in the process. Because grief is natural, it's needed, and it's necessary. Nobody gets better trying to run from grief. You have to give that to the Lord and know that He is there, whether you feel Him or not, knowing that He is close to the brokenhearted. God has not abandoned you. He's closer to you now than before the loss. But just because we can't feel it doesn't mean that's not true. That's why we have to trust God's Word. So write it down in your notes. Take it to memory. Grief is natural, needed, and necessary. Number three, stop taking the blame or blaming. Blame is a spiritual cul-de-sac. Everybody here been through a cul-de-sac? It's a big circle, and you end up right back where you started. Blame is a big spiritual cul-de-sac. And I'm going to say this, and I might say it often. um, The enemy doesn't need any new tricks. The old ones work really, really well. And every time I've gone to people and tried to help them through the loss of a loved one, inevitably somebody will open up and say, it's my fault. I should have made them go to the doctor sooner. I shouldn't have given them the keys to the car. I should have known. Just on and on it goes. The self beating up of themselves over blame. It's my fault. Children will blame themselves for their father or mother's death. If I'd have been a better child, they wouldn't have died. It just goes on and on. The enemy is a sorry sucker. And he will blame you if you'll take it. But can I say to you, this is real simplistic, but I hope you remember this. You can blame and get bitter, or you can believe and get better. And some of this is going to have to be, we're going to have to believe in God's character and nature until we can see him and get our questions answered. Because there are some questions you're not going to get answered on this earth. You just might as well get used to that. So you can blame, which a lot of people do, and even if the doctor made a mistake, can I tell you, blaming him will not help you. It will just leave you bitter. I I can't imagine. I I, I just can't imagine what it would be like to every day hold somebody's life in my hand over decisions that I'm trying to make. Can I tell you, your body is so complex. Our bodies... I think it's like seven or eight tests that they have to take before they actually know, was it a heart issue or just bad gas? A few degrees too high, you die. A few degrees too low as far as body temperature, you die. You are extremely complex. And these doctors are doing the best they can with what they have. And they're behind the eight ball every day. Even if he did make a mistake, it wasn't intentional. And blaming them isn't going to help you. It's just going to make you bitter against doctors, bitter against medicine. So we have to be careful that we don't blame ourselves or blame others because it's a great big spiritual cul-de-sac. And I've seen people do two weeks of that. I've seen people do 20 years of that. You can go around in that cul-de-sac as long as you want to go around, and you won't get any better. You just get more bitter, more bitter, more bitter. Or you can believe that God is good even though it doesn't feel like it, that God is there even though it doesn't feel like it, that God is for you even though it doesn't feel like it. You can believe and get better. It's your choice. God's not going to force you to do anything. You have a choice in it. Number four, when you are dealing with people who have lost a loved one, do not give a canned, rehearsed answer or a Christian cliche. Well, and this is, what's so sad is what you're saying to them and what's been said is true, but it doesn't help. The simple answers, the Christian cliches, well, brother, you know they're in a better place. Of course they're in a better place. But I'm not. When I lost my son, that was said over and over and over again. And it's true. He no longer has any pain. I'm excited for him that he doesn't have any more sticks, any more operations. He had 26 operations in 20 years of being on this planet. And he never complained one time. I wished I could have put his positive spirit and attitude in all of us. Because he just never complained complained. I'm glad he's not having to go through any more surgeries. I'm glad he's not in any more pain. But to say to someone they're in a better place and think that's going to help them is not a truth. It's canned. It's rehearsed. It's what we've been told so it's what we say but it doesn't it doesn't help. People ask me, I've been doing this 40 plus years and people ask me, what do you say when you go to somebody's house who's lost a loved one. I don't know. I don't know. I never have rehearsed what I'm going to say or what I'm going to do. I let them talk. I let them speak. Because when you just spit stuff out that you have heard, it's lacking compassion. It lacks a real love for that person to really find out what they're going through. You you only have two choices in this thing, really. You can blame God, get angry, and be bitter, or you can believe God. There's only There's only the two choices. You don't have any other options. And I know lots of people who have said they believe God, but secretly in their heart of hearts, they're angry at God because he didn't answer their prayer. God has become their butler. And when he didn't do what they wanted, they want to fire them. So we have a choice. Because in this life, things are going to happen that you're not going to understand, that you're not going to grasp. And you have to trust the character and nature of God, who he is, not what you see. Because we have a tendency to, when things are good, we've got a good job, the money's flowing, man, God is good. We lose our job. We don't, we don't know if God's still there or not. We don't know if God is for us or not. We change what we believe by our circumstances, and that's the trap of the enemy. That's going to create continued pain and hurt. I've been through a lot of stuff and helped people through a lot of stuff, and I know the power of just believing God is good no matter how I feel, believing that God is for me no matter what it looks like in my, with my eyes and with my ears, with my feelings. So we don't want to blame, because blame doesn't help anybody. We don't want to give canned answers. <laughs> my, f- my favorite story about canned answers and feelings and thinking we know something was about a lady who lost her husband. And uh, they'd been recently married for like six or seven years, and then he died. And so she was invited to this life group, of uh, grief life group. And so she comes to the house, and the lady at the house opens the door, invites her in. And one of the ladies who just lost her husband like a year earlier walked up to her and said, I know exactly how you feel. And she said to him, to that lady, she said, I'm glad he's dead. And everybody was like, You could t- the breath in the room was taken out. And she said, From the day I married him. He verbally and physically abused me. But I made a covenant, and I told the Lord, I'm going to walk this out and believe you to help me get through this thing. So every day of being beaten down, being physically abused, I asked the Lord for grace. And now that he's dead, I'm free. So here's the truth of the matter. Nobody knows exactly how you feel. For you to know exactly how somebody feels... You'd have to be them, and you'd have to have the same exact experiences as them, the same background, the same teachings, the same life experiences. It, it's not right to say, I know exactly how you feel. You can say, I've been through loss, and I have some understanding. That is the truth. But you don't know exactly how people feel. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, the Scripture says this, counsel, being able to help people, is in the heart of a man. It's not in their head. It's in their heart. And it's like deep running water. And a man of understanding will draw it out. When I go to a house, I realize they know what they need. They just don't know they know. And if I will let them talk, they will tell me what they need. That's why I don't have any canned answers. Because some people want to talk about their husband, want to talk about their wife. Other people want to talk about what they're going through and how they're feeling. Other people don't really want to talk at all right now. I went to one lady's house, I think I shared this last time, and while I was sitting there, she she made this comment that she really needed the lawn to be mowed because her husband was the one that mowed the lawn and a bunch of family and friends were going to come because of the funeral, and she didn't want them to have to see the grass too high and all that kind of stuff. So I took my cue. Um, I know you think all pastors do is, you know, complain and drink coffee at the coffee house, but I actually work, and so I I heard what she said. I went out, found her mower, and I just mowed the lawn. It was less than like a half an acre or something. It wasn't too bad. And uh, to this day, that lady thinks I'm the greatest pastor on the planet. She can't remember a thing I said, but she can remember what I did. Maya Angelou said this, I have learned people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. The goal is not having canned answers. The goal is not having answers at all. You might have some answers. The goal isn't having answers the goal is making people feel loved the goal is being there for people your presence if you're taking notes write down uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses like 3 through 11 i think it starts in verse 8 paul says i don't want you to be ignorant of the suffering that we went through in asia minor he said it got so bad we despaired even of life this is the apostle Paul, the one who said, count it all joy. He said, it got so bad, I, we didn't even know if we wanted to continue to live. You can feel like that when you've lost a loved one. I just don't know if I want to get up. It takes effort just to get out of bed. He said, it got so bad. And then he says this. This is what I want you to hear. He said, but God rescued us, and he'll continue to rescue us. And he says, you and your prayers. We're a part of that rescue mission. Can you? I mean, I want you to meditate on that a second. I'm trying to slow down so I can just share. I'm not good at slowing down, but I want to. Paul said this You and your prayers, not just your prayers, you and your prayers were a part of God's rescue mission. Never underestimate the power of your presence when someone is going through hard times. We we don't understand. when, When Michael was at the hospital for the last time and his days were coming short and we're praying, we're standing, we're doing all that we know to do. I can't tell you what an encouragement it was for people just to come by. They didn't have any answers. They were praying. They were believing with us but just their presence. Because I know it's hard to look me in the eyes, to look someone else in the eyes when they've lost a loved one. Because you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. But they came. And just them being there was such a strength, was such an encouragement that we don't have to go through this alone. Some of them went above and beyond it. Can I tell you this? Some some actually gave money because it's expensive to be at the hospital just to eat junk food that really is terrible. Just their gifts, their being there, was such an encouragement. And I've never had when people say, well, what do you need? Instead of asking them, give them $100, I promise you, they'll remember you. Because funerals are expensive. Walking through this, how am I going to make a living? What am I going to do without? On and on it goes. You can never harm somebody by giving them money when they've lost someone, ever. Paul said, you and your prayers were a part of God's rescue mission. So I don't go with canned answers. I just go. I'm one of the bravest people on the planet, Jeremy. I don't like to go. I don't know what I'm going to face. Sometimes people are in that panic state where they're crazy. They just scream, and they're mourning. Ah, beloved, please hear my heart. There is nothing I can compare a five- or six-year-old child finding out dad's not coming home, and to hear the lament that comes from the... It's a gut-wrenching cry. There is no pill. There is no promise that can get you through that without God. I don't want to face that any more than you do. But I've been there more times than I care to count. And just being there to help them walk that out, to help them vent, to help them share what they need to share. You, your presence, because your family, because you're their friends, just you being there can keep them from doing something they'll regret later, and give them an opportunity to vent, to share. Something I've learned over the last 40 plus years of doing this is that one of the best ways to get through loss with the least amount of baggage, because I promise you there's going to be baggage. It doesn't matter how much you trust God, how much you believe God. When you lose someone, it affects you. C.S. Lewis said it's like losing an arm or a leg. You survive, but you have to learn how to do life differently. So the people I know that make it through the best are the ones who have someone to talk to, the ones who have someone to share how they're feeling. Remember we talked about hurling, getting it out? When people have a vent, when people are able to talk, it's better for them. And Depending on my relational capital, I very seldom uh, correct people's theological outlook in the very beginning. They're going to blame God. They're going to, why did God take them? C- can, I, can I be as so bold as to say, can, can we at least be honest enough to stop blaming God for decisions people made that took their life? Let me just give you an example. My very first funeral, God always throws me in the deep end in anything. My very first funeral, 15 year old boy was huffing Freon with another kid, and they did it wrong, and that kid died across the table from his friend. First thing his mom said to me is, Why did God take him? Now, what did God have to do with them huffing Freon? What did God have to do with any of that? She was a lesbian, his sister was a lesbian. His brother came in, took a Polaroid picture, that's how long ago it was, took a Polaroid picture of him in the casket and said, see you later, bro, I'm going to Vegas. That's my first funeral. Man smokes for 65 years and then dies of cancer and we want to know why God took him. Can, can, we, can we at least agree to stop doing that? We have to be willing to, to be there for people. Again, my point was very seldom do I correct people's theological views. I just let them talk because they need to vent. When my daughter lost her husband at 32 years of age, he died of hemochromatosis where his heart, the walls of his heart got thicker and thicker until they just exploded. He died of a heart attack. Left her with two children, a widow with two children, two and four. I'd already been through the loss of one daughter, and so now I'm helping my daughter go through the loss of her husband. We called her every day for a year, every single day. And some days she was mad, and some days she was okay. Some days the loneliness was just more than she could bear, so we would go over. But we called her every day, and because she had a place to vent, she did extremely well. And what I have found over the 40 years of doing this is the people who have someone to talk to, the people who have someone they can say, This is how I'm feeling today, and them love them through that, them help them through, them just be there. You know, the Bible says we're supposed to mourn with those that mourn and rejoice with those that rejoice. And we don't do either. When someone gets a promotion, we get mad because we didn't get a promotion. When someone gets a raise, we get mad at God. Where's my promotion? I've been working longer than they have. When someone mourns, we avoid. You know, I'm just going to do what the Bible says. No, you're not. Most of us don't. Did you know I've gone to people's houses and just cried? I'm going to share this story in closing. I shared it one time before, but it just, my son had a way of just expressing things that were so phenomenal to me. His best friend's brother died of a brain aneurysm. And they asked me to do the funeral, so I did the funeral. And afterwards, Michael said, I'm going to go be with my friend. And I said, okay, I'm going to love on the family that's here, and we'll leave later. When it was time to leave, he was talking with his friend, and I said, Michael, it's time to go. He gave his friend a hug, and we got in the truck, and Michael loved being in the truck with me, and it was the guy thing, you know, we're in our four-wheel drive truck. And I asked him, I said, so how did it go? Here's what he said. He said, Dad, I didn't know what to say. So I just helped him cry. I was blown smooth away. The depth of that is—it be, was beyond what he understood, I'm sure. But listen to what he said. I didn't know what to say. So I just helped him cry. I've been at people's homes where the pain was so real, and I was so connected to them. I wept with them, and just was in their presence. And to this day, we're, we're connected because of what we went through together. We don't like to mourn. We don't like to grieve. We try to avoid it, but all avoidance does is affect us badly down the road. So don't go with canned answers of what you're going to say and what you're going to do. Matthew twelve thirty four: out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You let them talk, they will tell you what they need. James 1.19 says this, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You know, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Not so you could talk twice as much. Let all of us be swift to hear. I know it's uncomfortable. It's still uncomfortable for me. But the number of lives I've been able to help by just being there and listening. I mean, fully engaged in listening. I don't have time to teach on listening today, but we don't listen well in America. Part of the reason I know we don't listen well is because how often we interrupt somebody. I'm going to give you a jab before I go, and then I'll repent later. All interruption is, is a nice way of saying, would you please shut up so I can tell you what I think is really important. When we listen, truly listen well, we're engaged. One of the things I have an issue with this generation, the millennials and the Gen Zs, is they're doing this while they're talking to you. They don't know how to be fully engaged. They bring that third party with them. And I keep telling them, I got staff that are the Gen Zs, and I say, take the phone to the truck. Turn the phone off. If I don't wanted that person in this conversation, I would have invited them. I want to talk to you. When we actually listen well, we communicate value. Think about it. When politicians come on the TV, what do you do? Change the channel. Put it on mute. Why? You don't value what they have to say. So when we actually listen to someone, what we're actually doing is communicating value. You don't have to agree with everything, but you do need to listen. Amen. Jeremy, do we have a question?
1: All right now, uh, Jesse James is online watching today. Okay. He says, thank you, Pastor Lee. Canned answers are not what the family needs. <laughs>
0: He's obviously been through it.
1: Yes. Is there anybody here in the room that would like to ask a question or have a question right now? Again, there's paper in the back. If you want to write a question and we'll we'll get to it, but is there somebody here now that's got a question that they feel they need an answer to right now?
0: Be brave, be bold.
1: Right here.
0: Let's get it on the mic so the people who are watching can hear it. You can talk. I'll answer any question as long as one of those answers can be, I don't know. <laughs> Nobody's lived long enough to know it all. Go ahead. sure. How long has it been? Okay. All right. Very Great, great question. Yeah, very good. Great question. What do I do with my feelings? Uh, be honest about them. Too many times we try to act as if our feelings are not real or that they should be changed or whatever. Part of the way we change our feelings is by what we're thinking on. Uh, If you're thinking on the negative, if you're thinking on the bad, if you're thinking on all the negatives, you're going to be depressed, you're going to be angry, whatever. The Bible is very, very clear. If we'll think on the things that are just and pure and true and holy and virtuous and all these things, he said, the peace of God will be with us. So part of the way we rein our feelings in is by making sure we choose to think on the right things. But being five years into it is still a process. See, can I say to you, beloved, the world wants you to get better, but it isn't for your sake. The world wants you to get better, but they want you to get better for their sake because they don't know how to deal with your sorrow. They give you about three weeks, and they want, then they want you back at work with a smile. And if you're six months into it and you're still crying, people will literally be as so arrogant as to say, you just need to get over it. Those people have not been through loss. Those people have not been through what you have been through. And so we need to give them grace because they just don't know. But it's okay to still have feelings. I've been five years without Michael. And the other day we were at the table. And (laughs) one time Michael was, he was, in trouble, and I said, Michael, the answer is no. What part of no don't you get? He looked at me and said, I don't get any of it. <laughs> and so we were at the table, and we were just laughing because he just said the craziest of things, and he was very real. And in the middle of that conversation, somebody brought up something else, and it just struck me, and I began to cry. My eyes just begin to water, and I just it wasn't even tears of just I'm going downhill. It just was that emotional thing just caught me off guard. Grief reached out at the table, and I could see at the table, everybody's like, what do we do now? There was C.S. Lewis said, I didn't know losing my wife was going to make me an embarrassment to my friends. What he meant was people don't know how to deal with our grief. And even the friends that I had at the table were like stunned. They didn't know what to say or what not to say. And so I have to teach people how to treat me because they don't know. So I said to them, it's okay. It's okay, literally. It's just, you made me laugh and you made me cry. Way to go. That's what a good movie does, right? No, only women would say that. Men, like they don't want to cry. So anyway, um, we have to teach people. And our emotions are real. And it's a process. And for someone to say, you need to be through the process by three weeks, is totally without that's no three years you can start to really start making progress but you're still going to have times I met a man 20 years ago lost his son and I met him at a uh, tractor supply he was in line I was in line and I just started talking with him and he started talking about his son his son had been gone 20 years and he started crying at the register because it's still real it's a process It's like losing an arm. You know the problem with losing an arm is you can learn how to do things one-handed, but you will be reminded every day that arm is missing. Can I encourage you and set you free? It's okay to go through the process. Don't let anybody tell you you should be feeling this way by now because our feelings are real. We have to deal with them. We talked about that. But it's a process. And you'll do really, really good one week and then not so good the next week. And then you'll have a year where you just like, You think about them, but it doesn't create anything, and then all of a sudden, reach out and grab you. It's a process, and it's okay. Just have a partner that you can talk to about it, because the people that get better have a sounding board.
1: All right, we're going to take a 10-minute break. So grab you some coffee, go to the restroom. Um, Again, if you have questions, write them down. Uh, We want to try and help you, and at the end of today, We're going to have a time of prayer just for people to stand with you in whatever you're going through. So let's take a quick break.